Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Under the Radar SFF Books podcast. I'm your host, Blaze, as always, and I'm excited to have another author interview coming your way. Today, I'm joined by Grimdark Fantasy author Christopher Brenning. He's the author of the Hellborn King saga. First two books in this series are currently out, and I couldn't be more excited to have him on my podcast. Christopher, thank you so much for joining me, and welcome. Oh, hey, thanks for having me. Anytime. So we've been wanting to do this podcast for quite a bit now, and it's pretty good timing as well, considering you just released the second book in your series, uh, The Wrathbringer, and it's got a lot of publicity and love around the fantasy community. So congratulations on that. Well, thank you. I, uh, I, I put a lot of time, effort, and especially love into crafting that book, and I'm glad that it's been received as well as it has so far. <laughs> yep. Fingers crossed it continues on this upward trajectory. So let's start from the beginning. How did you decide that you wanted to become a grimdark fantasy writer? And how did it all uh, start for you? Well, I started writing as a hobby back in 2003. Um, Browser-based freeform RPG stuff, uh, you know, where you, you craft your own civilizations and characters and everything. And uh, I did that for a long time. Then I kind of fell out of it for a while. Um, what inspired me to get back into it, actually, uh, was Game of Thrones Season 8 and how terrible it was. So uh, when uh, after it finished, I was like, you know, I've always kind of had this idea in my head that, you know, maybe, maybe I should try writing a book. And it's like, well, you know, if I'm going to if I'm going to hate on Season 8 of Game of Thrones, maybe I should put my money where my mouth is and see if I can see if I could do better. And so then I. Uh, I went from concept to completion of the Hellborn King in about a year, and then um, just immediately started writing uh, Wrathbringer. And the, the the reception that I've received so far has, has been that validation that yes, this is what I'm meant to do. Wow, that's that's really great. So the Hellborn King saga, and you and I have spoken about this before on previous um, tweets and emails. Um, it's supposed to be a five book series, but there's a lot more to that, isn't there? Uh, I'm planning on doing five, possibly a prequel, and then maybe uh, a three book uh, spinoff after the fact. But um, I don't want to. I don't want to make promises because anything can change. I, I I plot as well as pants, and for people who aren't writers, um, you know, plotting obviously is when you plan it out, and pantsing is you're you're writing by the seat of your pants and just coming up with it on the fly. In my head, I have five books planned and then, you know, a prequel and another three potentially. So that's, that's a lot of writing. <laughs> yeah. I can only imagine the amount of writing that you had to get through, especially with Wrathbringer. It's a very thick chunk of a, of an epic book and it's worth, it's worth every single penny and it's worth your time. It took me a good deal to get through it, but um, loved it. One of the best sequels I've ever read. But before we get to that, we're going to, we're going to get into the Hellborn King in a little bit. So, I guess from your writing of Hellborn King to Wrathbringer, what did you feel like you improved upon as an author? And do you think it was a faster process since you got like like the first book out of the way and it's just um, easy sailing from there? I think, and, and you can definitely speak to this having read both of them, uh, I, I feel like just from a nuts and bolts storytelling perspective, I've Im uh, improved noticeably. I, I heard from a couple of reviewers of the Hellborn King that there's a little bit of teething issues. I mean, you can kind of kind of tell that it, it's a debut, um, but as you get further through that book, you know the the storytelling and everything becomes a lot more uh, focused, 
And I feel like um, just right out of the gates, Wrathbringer is is a lot um, is a lot more focused, and um, the the storytelling flows a lot a lot better. So I, I feel like just 360 degrees, my my craft has has improved in in a relatively short amount of time too. Because like I said, I jumped right into writing Wrathbringer immediately after Hellborn King. So I've just been sponging up feedback and sponging up um, researching, you know. Um, better techniques, better, better ways to, to, you know, not use certain words and phrases and ju just everything. Just, I've really been putting a lot of effort into improving my craft all the way around. Yeah. My, uh, remembering my first reading of the, the Hellborn King, the prologue starts out with a bang, as I'm sure many people have, have told you. Yes. Uh, and then the first six or seven chapters, it's just building the, the world and the characters before uh, the middle of it. And that's when everything really took off for me so yeah little little slow in the beginning but you needed that in order to introduce everybody to the the war politics the characters the garrisons as we'll slowly talk about them uh, upcoming um it was just it was just great and wrathbringer right from like the first chapter it's just like not guns a blazing i don't want that's a too strong a term but it's um it definitely you can tell it's going towards a big big epic climax and um no spoilers, but it's definitely it's definitely worth it. So I guess you said when you started the series, you said you were you were annoyed at the end of Game of Thrones to write your own one. But how did you come up with um, the the conflict for uh, Hellborn King with the Northern Tribes um, uniting under Daemon Blackdread? And there's a prophecy in going around there as well, and then the war with the with the Southern Kingdoms and just the mustering of that. How did that all come to your mind? Um, well, I knew I wanted to have uh, one central conflict that the, the plot revolved around. And then from there, I just wanted to stack layers of conflict. So um, especially on the northern side, you have all these different tribes and some of them at certain points have been at each other's throats. But, you know, they're um, they're there, albeit some of them are there reluctantly, um, you know, to to support this cause. And um, there's there's a lot of tension. There's a lot of infighting, and I wanted to reflect that on the opposite side as well, with infighting with the the Bethard family, and various scheming and, and politicking and everything there. So for me, it, it's you know it, it seemed pretty straightforward. Okay, I'm gonna have a big war that this whole thing is gonna center around. But I'm thinking like, okay, well, how do I make it unique? How do I make it interesting? And then it's just for me, it's just been just stacking and weaving different layers of conflict all the way down to the individual character where they're fighting battles in their own head. Yeah. And you definitely do that, especially with Gareth's storyline and Lucetta and the, the children, Charlotte as well, who's the, who's the queen and what she ends up going through. I like layers of like political maneuvering and mustering of troops preparing for the big battle. And that's where we get into Madeline's storyline, but without further ado, let's get into the main character so main conflict is obviously a war we got the northern northern tribes they were they each have their own individual attitudes and traditions but they're united under damien blackdread and for damien as well you don't have him in either of the first two books as a main as a main pov character you keep him kind of to the side and you introduce him through characters such as einar who's one of my favorite characters especially what he goes into in the second book Could you just go into a little bit of planning for damien's character damien's character and what you were trying to um, go through there uh damien is actually the uh one of the first characters that i 
invented when I started writing. So he's he's been around since about 2004, I want to say. So I'm I'm intimately familiar with the, with the character, his mindset, his motivations. Um, but obviously, I, I transposed him and plopped him into this new world. Um, and originally, he was going to be a POV character. Um, I started working on a chapter for him, but then I. Uh, I realized that if I do that, I'm going to end up uh, revealing too many secrets too quickly. So I wanted to tell his story through the eyes of other characters and how they experience him. I think, uh, I don't know if it was you or somebody on Twitter asked a question, like how many fantasy book series have their main character not actually be a point of view? And I know there's some out there, but you know, I, um, I think that's pretty unique Uh in the grand in the grand scheme of things, you know, with all the books and all the series out there, and I thought that was interesting to to kind of keep him this this enigma, this mystery. Every once in a while, he gets this mischievous grin, and you're like, "What is going on in that man's head?" And and I, I want to keep that that sort of mystery there to keep you invested in the character and finding out more about how he got to this place. Yeah, I actually remember that conversation. It was myself and uh, AP Canavan. Um, the conversation was, and forgive me if I'm going on tangents, but I enjoy this type of stuff. It was a main character in a series who is not, or this is like the main protagonist who was not like a POV character. And then I spun it and said, Damien is not the main protagonist. He's quote unquote, the main antagonist. And that just set off a nice chain of events. And I, to the life of me, I can't think of another series who has done that in this particular way. So it was just, it was just very interesting to to get AP's thoughts because he's read so many different series and he brings a different element to it. So that was that was really great to hear. Well, uh, considering how many books you've read too, I will most definitely take your word for that. <laughs> well, I mean, I'm not a fast reader, but I'm a consistent one. So thank mm -hmm. you very much for the for the compliment. So staying a little close to. Um, to Damien, we have um, Einar, who's his like right-hand man. I would consider him his friend. He was probably my favorite character, especially going through his um, his past about his about his wife and that his his tribe and what he fights for. He doesn't he doesn't necessarily like the the war and the killing, but he does it for the betterment of his people and for his um, own personal goals. And we see where that leads in this second book. Can you just talk a little bit about his character and was he? one you had in mind from the beginning or did he kind of just came out of the blue when you needed someone to talk about Damien's character? Uh, when I started writing the, uh, the barbarian tribes, they were all just kind of like um, caricatures, <laughs> you know, they were all just uh, brutal, sadistic, just trying to one up each other and, and how evil they could be. And I was just like, you know, this is lame. I'm not feeling it. And then the idea popped in my head. Well, what if I had like the noble savage, you know, like the, the guy that 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 looks like you know he's he's just this this brute, but on the inside he's very principled, uh, he's very um, religious, and uh, he he's guided strongly by his morality. And I'm thinking, okay, wow, this is this is interesting. And I just you know I didn't really plot anything out for him. I just I just started exploring as I'm writing, and um, and then it dawned on me. Well, his his central conflict in this story will be. He doesn't agree with the severity of the vengeance that Damien Dreadfire is is seeking, and it, it begins to cause tension, and it uh, begins to instill doubts in him. And and the more the more I, I started writing, and the deeper I got with his chapters, the more I enjoyed it. And um, because I felt that 
it brings a much needed sense of humanity to these to these barbarians. They're not like I wanted to rate the northern tribes and the Batanthians in such a way that you don't really know who's good and who's bad. Because in, in real life, in war, nothing's ever that clear cut. Everybody has their motivations. Everybody thinks they're the good guy. Um, and so I wanted to write Einar in a sense that, yes, he believes that they're justified in, in launching this war, but he doesn't agree with the, the brutality that he's seeing all around him. Yep. And it really comes to the, to the page with Einar. Now, switching focus to the other side of the conflict, we have, um, we have Madeline. Probably, I guess most people would say, is the favorite character of the series for multiple reasons. Probably the only, is she the only woman in the in the battalion? She's very headstrong. She's very um, prideful. She's very she believes in her and her mission. What was the inspiration for for Madeline and writing of her her character? Because she's probably the best character in the book, in my opinion. Oh well, thank you. Um, inspiration. That's that's a tough one. Um, I don't know if anything directly inspired her character because I knew I wanted to have um, several different camps on the Batanthian side. And so I wanted to tell the story of this, this military order sort of in the vein of like, you know, Knights Templar where they're, they're, they're charged with, you know, protect, helping protect the borders and, and the, the, the trade routes and all that stuff. The idea of her specifically, I don't know. It, it, it just kind of came to me and I started writing and exploring her as I was writing. And um, I think with her, I wanted to, and see nowadays it's tricky, especially for male authors to write good female characters. Uh, so I didn't want her to be, you know, sort of this modern stereotypical um, Mary Sue. I wanted her to, uh, again, with the layers of conflict, I wanted her to project that she's this, you know, strong, confident person. And she is. But there's a lot of, you know, self-doubt. There's a lot of feeling the need to prove herself. Um, she second guesses herself, but she, you know, she's very strongly driven by ambition and and what she believes. And uh, like all human beings, sometimes the decision the decisions that she makes are not always the correct ones, and um, she pays the consequences. And all my characters are like that. Nobody has plot armor. Nobody gets away with a bad decision. They all have to deal with the consequences of it. And um, for those that have, have read The Hellborn King, you do find out at the end of the book what, what um, pride will earn you. If you know, because uh, without getting into too many spoilers, she had an opportunity to to run from a futile situation, and she decided no. I have to do this. I'm going to do this no matter what the cost is. And she ended up paying heavily for it. We're not going to get into any of that, but yes. we'll talk off screen about what the consequences of everything you just put forth is. And uh, to all the people listening, it's a grim dark for a reason. So just put, putting that in, out into the ether, do with that as, as you wish. And then same with on the Madeline's side of the conflict, um, we had introduced to Titan who old brute gruff of a, of a warrior seems to just be trying to drink himself out of oblivion because all the hardships that he's seen, but um, he's able to be mustered up for like one last, like one last hurrah kind of thing uh, to fight the, to fight the war. Um, I love the, the old warriors and like reintroducing because they've seen so much and it's no wonder they kind of find themselves in a depressive state for, for that 
obviously there's more to Titan as you find out in book two, but did you, did you always want to introduce like an older type of like war, war griefed uh, person into the conflict to just give like a little extra layer of the seriousness of the war going around and just in general with uh, the brutality of it? Uh, Titan was a pleasant surprise. He was a last minute addition. So there, there's a scene when uh, Madeline is, is mustering as many men as she can to to ride out to um, the conflict zone, and uh, she she stumbles across this grizzled, you know, uh, war veteran, and uh, that that was pure discovery writing. I, I didn't intend specifically to have him as a character, let alone as a POV. But the more I'm writing him, the more uh, in love I fell with the character, and um, he became. His own his own point of view character later on in the book, and then um, he is probably the uh, the focal point of book two, which is why he's on the cover. Um, and so I was I was very pleasantly surprised by him. I think he he's a very colorful addition to the cast <laughs> because he is uh, pretty much the only character that uses uh, profanities. So if you're sensitive to profanities, be aware of that. He's a very foul mouth, and he doesn't care. Because he's just he's just seen too much, and you know it, it, it is what it is. With him, um, I wanted to I wanted to make it so that he he wasn't always this way. You know, he 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 used to be that guy that everybody looked up to, and praised and followed, and just through through the loss of his friends over the years and and everything he's witnessed, he's he's fallen out of favor with his comrades, and then you know befriending Madeline the way he does. There's a little bit of jealousy there, like, you know, well, I remember my glory days and I, I kind of want him back. And um, but that doesn't get in the way of his friendship with Madeline. I feel they have a very, very strong dynamic and it just grows. It grows throughout um, Hellborn King and especially through Wrathbringer. And it's going to continue to grow. Yeah, I uh, I love Titan's storyline um, in book one. And then in book in book two, you, you get to peel back a little bit of the layers and you get more of the world building and Titan's like right in the middle of of that conflict so well done with pleasant surprise but definitely well done with that yeah and, and i uh, uh just one more thought i wanted to i wanted to have a male female friendship that wasn't sexual in nature because it, it seems like you know in any sort of uh uh media be it movies or or what have you that you know all men are always attracted to the females in the story and i i wanted to kind of have that um that dynamic where you know they're they're not they're not remotely interested in each other sexually. It's just purely, well, first it's a friendship of convenience, but then they they come to realize that they are far more alike than probably either one of them is comfortable admitting, and then that's that's that forms a really tight bond between them. Yeah, it, they definitely do not get have that like barrier of they're romantically involved with each other. They're they're not, but they grow. They do grow like an everlasting friendship, but between them and at first on the battlefield and then we'll see as how that unfolds and away from the war conflict you also get involved in the political aspects of of it as well with gareth uh, charlotte and lucetta those are the the king's wife and and children and how they get involved with that the the plotting and maneuvering of all like the inner politics especially i would say lucetta and going down her storyline, um, did you want to cause this like type of like political back and forth from the beginning, or is this something that evolved 
over time. And then I still don't even know where you're going to go with it after reading of Rathbringer. So <laughs> just a testament to that. Uh, well, I knew on the, on the uh, Bethard side, I wanted to have a sibling rivalry um, having, having kind of uh, lived in a dysfunctional family myself. I want, I, I felt that that would be a very strong uh, plot element. So I wanted to include that. Um, Lucetta, I was actually, I was actually so close to cutting her because I didn't know what to do with her initially. She really didn't have a whole lot of other characters to to play off of, which is why um, a certain character, and I, I I won't mention a name or what this character is because it might be a spoiler, but uh, she ends up having a character to regularly interact with, and uh, her her motivations are well intentioned. You know, she wants to save her family. She wants to save her 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 city. She wants to save her nation because she sees, you know, she she sees that the status quo is unacceptable, and um, she she feels this desperate need to to try to right every wrong. But the the way things work for her, um, they to to an outside observer, they would you know, be doing the opposite of what she's actually trying to accomplish. But in her head, she's she's always doing the right thing. No matter what, like no matter how how screwed up or or ghastly it, it may appear in her head, well, the ends justify the means. You know, I'm doing what I have to do, for, you know, for the betterment of, you know, my people. And uh, you will find that um, that sets her down a very uh, a very dark yet I I think entertaining path, and it's only going to get crazier too. <laughs> Oh, God. I mean, after reading Wrathbringer, just how crazy that <laughs> sort of storyline gets. I can only imagine what you have in store coming down the road. But, um, yeah, nothing keeps you invested, especially in the character. And I agree. At first with Lucetta, I wasn't sure what to think until that plot reared its ugly head. And now it's, uh, yeah, now it's probably one of the, the better plot lines, I think, of any series I'm, I'm reading. So I love just mystery. Um, I love like expecting the unknown and how my mind races when I see it. I'm like, okay, it could be this. And then all of a sudden you do a 180, it could be, and it's that. And I'm like, oh, I didn't see that coming. I just love being surprised. I know a lot of fantasy readers and fans like that as well. Um, and I'm assuming, you know, all, do you know all the ins and outs and secrets of where the series are going? Or you just know like the main, do you know like the main like tower where you have to get through and then on the, on the way you'll see how it, um, you discover it. Yeah, uh, in fact, I I already have the last scene of the last book in my head, I, and I already know what the last sentence is going to be. Uh, I know what characters are going to make it. Um, for the most part, um, there are several characters who I already have their uh, fate planned, shall we say. Um, but anything can change at any time. It all depends on how I feel as I'm writing it. Case in point... Um, originally when I was first kind of laying out the bare bones plot for the Hellborn King, I had intended Madeline to die in book one. And as I'm writing, I'm like, she has a much, much bigger story to tell. And yeah, so I ended up not, not going down that road with her, but, uh, I do, I do sort of know what I want, but as I said, anything can change at any time. And I'm, I'm open to that. That's a, it's a great mindset. It always surprising yourself. It keeps everything fresh going forward. A little bit change of direction here. Um, who would you say authors, obviously you said George R. R. Martin, but what other 
authors do you get um, influence from and who do you enjoy reading uh, right now, I should say, for um, for inspiration? Um, I'm actually not much of a reader. I uh, never really have been. Um, past couple of years, I've been doing the audiobook thing at work, which uh, which which helps. Um, I'm just I don't know if I if I'm ADD or what, but I just I just can't really look at a page for too long. Uh, my mind just kind of short circuits and I have to put it down. Like, like even even going through my own work and, and rereading and everything is, is is pretty draining on me. But um, authors I enjoy, um, uh, Joe Abercrombie. I mean, his, I've, I've listened to his audio books. Um, John Gwynn, I'm getting, getting into that. I don't, uh, let's see, um, what else is there? Um, Name of the Wind, I've got, I've got that one. Um, but I don't really have a whole lot of time to really, you know, between my job and trying to be, stay consistent with writing, I don't really have a whole lot of time to, to delve into other works, unfortunately. Oh, well, it's not, it's no big deal. You, you get to through when you can. Um, so happy to hear you talk about John Gwen. Uh, he's my favorite, um, author. The Faithful and the Fallen is my favorite series. I just gush about that every chance, every chance I get some, I'm, I'm glad you're jumping on that train. Um, as well. Yeah. Audiobooks, they've always been easier for me when I'm driving, when I'm driving to work, it takes like 40 minutes to get there. I can knock out because I read at like two times speed. I can knock out like two or three chapters and just consistently over a week I'm done. So it's a lot easier in that, that format than just picking up a book. Mm -hmm. Although I do that in my downtime, it's really changed the way we, um, we digest, um, material. So I'm very glad. Yeah, to that. And speaking of audiobooks, you're, the Hellborn King uh, audiobook, if you guys have a chance to listen to that, it's fantastic. It's fantastically done. Um, how did that process go of finding uh, an audiobook narrator and just going going through that? Uh, so ACX is uh, the, the self-publishing platform for Audible. And um, I knew I wanted to have a narrator with a uh, with a British accent. It's just it's pleasant on the ears, you know, if, you, if you're going to be listening to something for 40 plus hours. So. Uh, I was searching for searching for uh, narrators on there, you know, with a British accent, because you can you can sift and sort through so many different settings to find the perfect narrator for you. It's really nice. And so I came upon Guy Barnes. He's one of um, Audible's like certified or you know like, top tier uh, narrators. And so then I checked out his portfolio and just the different voices he does. Because I knew I wanted more of a character actor. I didn't want someone to just read the book. I wanted somebody to really get into it and bring life to the characters. And as soon as I started checking out his portfolio, I was like, man, this is the guy. I got to have him. I was a little hesitant at first because, you know, being a self-published guy, I have to front all the money for this. And so I kind of I kind of waffled on it for a few months. And then all of a sudden I'm like, you know what? Screw it. I'm just going to put it on a credit card and I want to get it done because I was I was just so excited to work with him. And I, I think it turned out amazing. Um, it, it really brings a lot of life to the story. And and once I'm able to, I'm going to get him going on uh, the next audiobook. Oh, I'm sure that'll make a lot of fans really, really happy. Mine, mine as well. I'm definitely going to re-listen to it uh, when that comes out. Just be sure to keep us informed on that front. Oh, God. Seems like we've been talking like for... For a long time, it's only been <laughs> half hour with, <laughs> with the Grimdark. Um, so you just finished Wrathbringer. Have you begun work on book three? Is that um, do you have a title for that? How is that? How's that coming along? Uh, I have titles for uh, the next three books. I will not be 
revealing anything yet, um, but I have started work on book three. Um, I finished the prologue in three days uh, and I'm just rolling through it. I have some work done on the prequel, a couple thousand words in on that. I think I'm just going to kind of work on those two simultaneously. If I start getting stuck on one, then I'll just, I'll, I'll continue working on, you know, the other, I'll, I'll kind of pull a Brandon Sanderson on that one. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, working on two books simultaneously, no, no ETA I want it could possibly be done. I'm aiming for, I would like to consistently be able to put out a book every year and a half. I think that's for me, I feel like that's a, that's a fairly good timeline and I hope I can stick to it. Uh, every year and a half, you're pretty much, uh, above the curve when it comes to some of these other, uh, fantasy authors, George R. R. Martin, you would get on, get on that Yeah, <laughs> so 11 years, 11 years and counting. Um, every year and a half is a, is a godsend to, to that besides obviously your job and, and writing, what do you do for hobbies? I know you do a lot of, uh, hiking. I know you do a lot of outdoors activities. Are there any shows that you watch or, or movies? Um, not, um, not a whole lot that I'm watching now. I do every once in a while dabble in uh, some paranormal shows, like ghost adventures, stuff like that. Um, but I'm really big into hiking. In fact, uh, starting tomorrow, um, there is a month-long uh, hiking event in, in Wisconsin. It's called uh, the Mammoth Challenge, and you hike what's called the Ice Age Trail, and you do 42 miles in the month, and you have to visit three trail towns. I did it last year. I think like only 20% of everybody that signed up for it actually completed it. So it's, it's, it's an accomplishment. Um, I just, I love being outdoors, um, kayaking, hiking, you know, just hanging out with my friends, uh, going to concerts, you know, I'm big into, big into music, uh, especially metal music. I am a, I am a big movie junkie, but you know, ever since the whole COVID thing, I got out of the habit of going to the theaters and I just haven't really been to one since. So there's a lot of movies I got to catch up on. Yeah, the last one that my wife and I went to is um, the new Top Gun movie, which is fantastic. See it in movies, see it at home, see whatever you can. Just, I think it's wonderful. I was literally about to mention that because I was I was looking forward to that coming out for the longest time, and then it came out, and it's like ah, you know, <laughs> I haven't had a chance to see it yet. Oh well, it has my has my blessing. It, I just love that love that movie. Um, with all my, with all my heart. Um, so you haven't watched any of the, like the new, um, house of dragon shows or like the rings of power or anything like that. Uh, I have not, I think I'm going to wait until house of the dragon. I'm, I think I'm going to wait until the season's done so I can just binge it. Um, plus I, you know, after getting burned on game of Thrones season eight, I'm still a little hesitant about reinvesting in the world, but I hear it's really good. Um, I don't really have any intention of watching rings of power. See, I don't even really know what else is out there right now. Um, didn't Last Kingdom have like a, a season that came out like within the last year, year and a half or something? I'm not, I'm not yeah, sure. Yeah, I haven't but actually. Sorry, I haven't actually watched The Last Kingdom. I know it's on my it's on my list that I'm planning on starting. Uh, I think it came out about a year ago, if I'm mm-hmm. not mistaken. So, coming from a Game of Thrones super fan, I can 100% say House of Dragons is it's worth the reinvestment if. I didn't see with my thing about Game of Thrones. I didn't hate the last season. I hated how, like, the lead up to it. Like, for for example, like with Danny's character, how she turned. And if you haven't watched the last season of Game of Thrones, I'm sorry, but I gotta say it. Uh, how she turns <laughs> into a Mad Queen. I was following them to that point because you could see the little threads of that happening. 
I hate that that she did it in the snap of a finger and just burned the burned West um, burned King's Landing to the ground and that storyline and how it felt like it needed two or three more episodes in order to get satisfactory with House of Dragons. It's just fantastic. You just have to know into it that each episode um, there's going to be a time jump. Some of it could be like uh, six months. Some could be a year. Some could be 10 years. Um, just know that going into it because it's not written as a linear storyline. It's written as a chronological history of certain events happening at certain times. And you have to get to that point. So I would 100% um, give it a shot. I think you'll enjoy it tremendously. All right. Well, I will uh, take your recommendation and definitely uh, get on that. Uh, like I would say my biggest problem with Game of Thrones season eight was um, it was rushed and they changed their main antagonist three times in three episodes. Went from Night King one episode to Cersei the next episode to Danny the next episode. It's it's like that, that's that's at least a couple of seasons worth of character development that, that got crammed into you know just a couple of episodes. So um, and 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 you know we all know the reasons why because you know Dan and Dave wanted to go do their their Star Wars series which ended up getting canceled on them. So it's like you know you, you guys kind of rushed through this and and botched it you know all for nothing, but. If it, if it didn't turn out that way, I never would have been inspired to write my books. So I do owe them a, a debt of gratitude for that one. <laughs> wow, it's a silver lining in everything, right? So yes. you can't hold hold a grudge for that too bad. And, of course, we say that about the show. We're obvi- I'm obviously, I don't know what you're going to read the, the when, when he ever he publishes it, The Winds of Winter, and the final book if he ever gets there. So it's not like it, it dampened my love for the series at all. It's just what could have been and just like mm-hmm. kind of like a stab to the the heart about about that because it was at that point probably still is in some instances the most popular series on on television so um horrible to see it go down that way and uh hopefully House of Dragons can redeem it I mean it's been it's been um commissioned for a second season immediately after season one uh, uh episode one was published so I mean they believe in it and mm-hmm. I think we believe in it too. So this has been super, super fun. Thank you so much for that and for coming on. Um, why don't you tell the audience where they could find you, uh, your Twitter handle and your website and where they can find your, your books. Uh, at Chris G Brenning on Twitter. That's, that's the best way to keep up with me. Uh, I do have a website, ChristopherGBrenning.com. Uh, it does get neglected sometimes. So, uh, just find me on Twitter. Um, you can find the books on Amazon, the, uh, audio book, all that good stuff is there. Wrathbringer has a hardcover. Uh, I am working on a, at some point getting a hardcover for the Hellborn King, but yep, just find me on Amazon. Find me on Twitter. <laughs> Great. Well, Christopher, thank you so much for joining me and everyone for listening. And if and this has been such a fun experience. Um, and if you and if you ever want to talk about the Hellborn King or Wrathbringer, be sure to reach out to me or Christopher, and we'll be happy to talk about the the experience. And it's definitely one to remember. Yeah, uh, definitely uh, have me on whenever you would like. This has been great. Uh, Thanks for having me. Anytime. Cheers, everyone.